From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Mitch Pacwa. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Wednesday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. If you'd like to be part of the program, pick up the phone and give us a call at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, your number is 1-205-271-2985. And we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1-205-271. 2712985 and you can always send us an email that email address is openline at ewtn.com I'm Jack Williams Michael McCall producing the program our call screener is Matt Gubensky and uh, Ace McKay handling our social media efforts so if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook live you can type a question into the chat window and it may find its way to us by the end of the program and um, our host, as he is every Wednesday, Father Mitch Pacwa. How are you? Groovy. Okay, we're going to give Michael McCall a little airtime here. Cool. So Michael's going to walk out into the studio so that all of our people that are watching on YouTube and Facebook Live will get a glimpse of the number one Birmingham Stallions fan, producer man Michael McCall, as he cleans up the mess <laughs> that left by his confrere, Mr. Charles Beery, the producer of Call the Communion. <laughs> He has to clean up after poor Charles. And there we oh, have yeah, it. Yeah, there yeah. we have it. So I'm sure, oh, yeah. I'm sure Charles is getting a kick out of that upstairs right now. Yes. He's listening. So you got an email there? Yes, we have one from a lady who's very upset. <laughs> Hi, Father Mitch. On your February 21st open line show, you answered a question regarding the trans-St. Patrick funeral mass. To say I was startled at your response is an understatement. You referred to the deceased by his changed female name. You called him a woman. You used female pronouns in speaking about him. I'm a retired teacher. I have thought about what I would have done if the school system had tried to force me to call a male a female and a female a male. My conscience? It would be a lie to use self-selected pronouns. And not only would I be lying, but I would be teaching the rest of the students to lie and accept such nonsense. I could not be the exemplar for lying about trans students by using pronouns that were not given to children by God. Was Cecilia on the name the name on his birth certificate? Did God make him male? Why are you going along with this false agenda? I have followed you and respected your Catholic teachings and views of the church for so long, I can't figure out your answer. Please address this matter. And since you knew her, what would Mother Angelica have uh, said? Thank you, Joan. Joan, you let agree, me explain you, something. You agree with everything she said, don't you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Joan, when I was on Wednesday, I thought it was a woman named Cecilia. I had no idea that it was a trans person. I found out by the time I got to the program on Thursday, where I uh, usually appear with um, uh, Teresa Tamio. 
and do, do a show with her. I, I found out more about it then, but I had no idea that it really wasn't a female until later. And I said it was a, and I have no idea what this person's name was. I didn't call it uh, the, the person he or she. I just said this person when I, when I found out, because I don't know what else to, what other name to have used. And that was exactly the same rope-a-dope trick that had been played on St. Patrick's Cathedral Parish. Their staff had no idea either. The priest figured out midway what was going on. But, um, you know, he said, realized this is more theater than it is worship. And so he, you know, did a final commendation and brought it to a close without mass because that would have been uh, more sacrilegious. But, you know, I just didn't know. So what Mother Angelica would have said, uh, if it depends on whether she knew that it was a guy or a gal. Um, but I, I had no idea. I, 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 well, I did have an idea. I assumed it was a lady uh, and only later found out that it had been a trans person. I don't know if it was someone who had had sex change or not. It was just, I, I have no idea. I still don't know all that. And I really, um, no, I, my own, the, the, the concern I had too, it was more along the lines, this person was a self-professed uh, atheist. And uh, this was, um, you know, why they wanted a funeral mass. I suspect... I can, I can help you with that. Yeah, go ahead. Because they, wasn't they wanted to flaunt something in the face of what they perceived to be an oppressor of theirs. Yeah. And, you know, in the past, St. Patrick's has been the, a place where um, various activists have, you know, handed out condoms and thrown them around and just done a number of things, um, you know, because they're disrespectful people. And then this is from uh, Dan. I found an account entitled Acta Pilate. And one your opinion, it's supposed to be a translation of a report made by Pilate to Caesar regarding the detention, crucifixion, and resurrection of Christ. I was made by what it contained. My questions are, is it real? I've never heard of it before. It's translation of copyright 1913. Do you, ha- do you know the background of the authors? Has there been any more recent evaluation of the text? What is your opinion? Thanks. Hope you have a great day. Uh, yeah, I got an interesting, um, uh, a friend of mine also had texted me on that and I haven't been able to get back to him, um, partly because my computer was hacked um, by ransomware people, so we just had to clean that up first. But be that as it may, be careful of those ransomware people. Um, they, they just, you know, I talk to your local sheriff or and a computer expert before you give them any money. Um, definitely talk to your local sheriff. Um, but at any rate, uh, that is a, a somewhat old doc, uh, document, but it is not original. Um, it, it is something that was written well after the fact, and it was part of a legend. Now, there were there were reports about the crucifixion of Jesus written by Pontius Pilate, and those records had been in Rome. Uh, 
it's um, Saint Justin Martyr when he was, uh, you know, arguing. He uh, Saint Justin Martyr lived in the middle of the second century. He was born, I think, in the nineties uh, A.D. and he lived into uh, until he was martyred under the famous philosopher Emperor Marcus Aurelius. Um, for someone who touted great philosophy, and a lot of people looked to his writings as a way of life. He didn't mind martyring people who disagreed with him philosophically. But in his apology, St. Justin Martyr mentions to his Roman listeners that uh, you can go check the record uh, office uh, because the records of Pilate putting Jesus on trial and executing him are filed there. Now, those records were destroyed when the—I believe it was when the um, uh, vandals sacked Rome. Rome got sacked a few times, I, I think three times, in the uh, uh, f- uh, f- 5th century. Uh, yeah, 5th century that got sacked. And this was a terrible thing, uh, 409 and then again in the 450s. And this was just a shock to the world, a lot like uh, 9-11 was a shock to us. But I believe it was when the Vandals sacked Rome that they destroyed those records so that they've been lost to us, unfortunately. All right. And then uh, it says, Hello, Father. In the litany of St. Joseph, he is called lover of poverty. Can you explain what this means? Um, First of all, yeah, St. Joseph was willing to leave behind his job and career in order to protect Jesus. He did whatever he had to to protect the Blessed Mother and Jesus. That meant leaving his country and his, you know, we had regular customers and uh, and, you know, that's tough, you know, if you have a, a business, uh, as he did. And this is something that, um, you know, he took care of. And was he in the area, when Jesus was found in the temple, was in the area off limits to women? No. This was in the porticos where the teachers could teach. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's Open Line Wednesday with Father Mitch. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. EWTN Pro-Life Pulse is your weekly recap of the top pro-life headlines moving our nation and world. The mainstream media misses most of these stories. Visit EWTNnews.com slash pro-life and sign up today and stay connected. 
833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. We've got three open lines for you at 833-288-3986. First up today is Mike, a first-time caller in Dayton, Ohio, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Mike, you're on with Father Mitch. Yeah, hey, Father Mitch. Um, so if if God is all-knowing, all-seeing, and knows everything that we're going to do, essentially, how do we reconcile that with the Church's teaching on free will? Well, what? first of all, um, there are a lot of things that people would know that you're going to do, and they allow it. They, you know, I, I think of examples where, you know, parents uh, would give a child a certain amount of money and see how they act responsibly and tell them what they should do, and then you see if they do it or not. And knowing some children, they're not prone to that responsibility. You have a sense, but you let them experience um, what is going to happen. And, you know, uh, as a result of misusing the money, for instance, um, this is, uh, you know, the kind of thing where a a lot of uh, folks who are responsible. Now, in the case of God knowing what we do, do we, um, you know, do, do we lose our responsibility? You know, just because God knows, am I not still making my choice, even though God knows what my choice is? I'm still the actor, and I'm the one who makes the decision. So uh, how does his knowledge prevent me from making the choices that I make? Do you have a sense that because God knows what you you are going to choose, that you don't get to choose? Since he created that, you know what I mean. Since he yeah, yeah, he, the, but know, I, that's not what I asked. His creation. Yeah, you know what I that's mean? not like, what I asked. Know that do, intrinsically. Do, what I asked is this: Do you make your choices, or do you not? Yes. Right. Yes. yes yeah. We make the- exactly. Now, God may know the choice, and He uh, knows that this is something that is wrong but he allows you to make that choice. And you truly are responsible for the decisions you make. Now, here's one of the other realities. The Lord can also, you know, by uh, when we come to faith in him and repent of the bad choices we make, the sins that we commit, um, you know, then he is able by his grace to transform, you know, us and even allow something that went badly to turn out for the good. But this is still something that we have to make the choice to make an act of faith and repent and change and accept the graces God gives us so that we can change. And the, these are choices we make 
daily, constantly, throughout every day. And, and his knowledge has structured the creation in such a way as to not take away our free will to make those decisions. So he knows, but he still structures it so that we have that choice. Thanks, Mike. We appreciate the call today. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Next stop for us is Boise, Idaho. You know, if 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 our friend Dr. Ray Garendi were here, he wouldn't say he he would not he would not say Boise. No. You know, that's he that's not a gender neutral enough term. He would probably say person Z. Sam is Would in Boise listening on. on Salt and Light Radio. <laughs> Sam, you're on with Father Mitch. Jack, Father Mitch, thanks so much. Sure. Father, my and I is, apologize for the bad jokes, but go ahead. Oh, it's okay. That's the only kind of jokes I can get anyway. <laughs> uh, Father, I've, I've heard over the years, and, and even my bishop has said he, he knows of this, but I'm looking for perspective on the, the thoughts that Judas betrayed the Lord in an effort to get him to fully come into being the Messiah that Judas thought he was going to be, rather than out of evil, per se. I'd like to get your perspective on that. Well, first, here I would ask a question. What is there in the biblical text that would lend us the possibility that that is true? What do you see anywhere in the gospel texts that would indicate that? Nothing that I'm aware of. And I have found nothing along that kind of line. That would be telling you a lot more about the person who proposes that theory than it tells you either about Judas Iscariot or Jesus. This may be what they might have done, but it has nothing to do with anything we hear about Judas or about Jesus. That, that there's, there's nothing there. So, you know, when I'm looking for a theory, I also look for evidence to back it up. And in this case, there was no, there's zero evidence for such a thing. And um, what we do see as evidence that comes from St. John, who was one of the apostles with Judas, is that Judas had begun to be a thief early on. And then uh, not only does John mention that, I believe it's in uh, chapter 12, of John, but he, but we also see that in chapter six, Jesus already states that one of you has a devil, and it says he's referring to Judas, and so, um, and Judas is willing to flat out lie to Jesus' face. In, when Jesus says, when he was about to betray me, and he says, certainly it is not I, Lord. He's lying to Jesus' face right then and there. So this isn't something of, 
you know, I don't see any evidence of him trying to promote Jesus' messiahship. He wants the 30 pieces of silver in addition to the little bits of money that he had been taking from the common purse, as John had stated. Does that make sense? It does. And it's ever since I heard this, it, it just kind of intrigued me a little bit. But I also want to clarify that when I say my bishop said he had heard this theory, he was not endorsing that at all. I don't want the bishop to get upset. Okay, don't worry. We won't start the Inquisition. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I, I wasn't even going to go there. But, yeah, I, I just, you know, when we come up with theories, we have to listen to the text and see if there's evidence. Um. This is a very important thing. But thank you for calling, Sam. I appreciate that. It is chapter 12, verse 6. Chapter 12, verse 6. Regarding the, yeah, when he's the at that party the, uh, uh, to celebrate the, the healing yeah. of Lazarus. Yep. Right. Uh, next up is Patterson in Woodbridge, Virginia, watching us on YouTube today. Patterson, welcome to the program. You're on with Father Mitch. Hey, Father Mitch, how you doing? It's better for talking to you, Patterson. Nice to have you back. What can we do for you today? Uh, first, uh, could you uh, pray for me, my brother? Our birthday was February 6th. I'm now 53 years old. Well, God bless you. And your mother and father, without whom this birthday would not have been possible. Uh, <laughs> and Thank bless you. you and your brother both. Have a... Uh, as we... You may not say this where you're from, but Polish people always say, may you live a hundred years. <laughs> That'd be nice. That would be very nice. I'll get my question. Uh, Revelations 11 and 8. It says, um, well, it's, it's supposed that Babylon is Jerusalem mm-hmm. because it says where the Lord was crucified. Mm-hmm. And, uh, is that true, or and do you have sources on it, or what's your opinion, or? Yeah, as a matter of fact, Doctor Scott Hahn and I have talked about that, and our Lord was not crucified in Rome, and he was not crucified in Babylon. He was crucified in Jerusalem, but Babylon is oftentimes a code word for a place of evil. This was a place dominated by uh, worship of Marduk, and uh, it was it cele- the, the central temple, the Esargila, was to celebrate Marduk's conquest of the goddess of chaos, though if you looked at my room, you would think she was still ruling. And, <laughs> and uh, the... Um, uh, that that it w- it became a symbol of evil. Now Jerusalem, like Rome, also has seven hills, and sometimes people make reference to that. But I would say, at least in that part of the Book of Revelation, uh, chapter Revelation eleven verse eight, it's referring uh, to Jerusalem as Babylon, and the the two prophets that are there are persecuted again. And that's one of the reasons why it's portrayed as 
the uh, Babylon, and that eventually uh, the Antichrist would come and rule from there. So that's what's going on, and I do think that it is. I think you're right. Uh, Dr. Hahn and I have talked about that, and we, we both agree that it's referring to Jerusalem there. God bless you, Patterson. Happy birthday to you. 833-288-EWTN. That is our toll-free number. It's a free telephone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. It's EWTN's Open Line Wednesday with Father Mitch Pacwa. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 833-288-EWTN, that's our toll-free number. Back to the phones we go. Paul is in Saginaw, Michigan, listening on Ave Maria Radio. Paul, you're on with Father Mitch. Yeah, gentlemen. Uh, Yeah, Father, uh, when I was... uh a uh, kid in the 50s and 60s, mm-hmm. my mother used to drag me to Sunday afternoon Lenten services mm-hmm. where we used to sing uh, a Lenten service called Gorske Jale. Gorske Jale. Yeah. I had no idea in the world what it was that I was singing. Can you translate and tell me uh, a a, a, a summary of what I was thinking about. I I would need the text. I you know uh, let me try and look. I have a po- my Polish hymn book still, and I'll go look for because I, um, you know we didn't sing it. <laughs> Our pastor was Monsignor Joseph McGowan. Uh, <laughs> he didn't speak any. Polish, and he, he was very kind, and he would bless our Easter baskets on Holy Saturday, but uh, we didn't do that. We just would have, um, uh, what do you call it, uh, the, the Stations of the Cross on Friday, and then on Sunday we would have benediction, but we didn't have anything specifically Polish at our parish. But I'll, I'll try to get back to you on that. I'll have to look that up. Uh, and see what that is, because I, I I have no idea what it is, and we'll get to it. Okay. Can you, tra- can you translate the title or not? Yeah, uh, I don't know the word Jale Gorskia means on the hill. Okay. Um, you know, so um, crucifixion maybe. Yeah, th- I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. Uh, uh, referring to Mount Calvary, but I don't know the rest of the words. So, uh, so Jale maybe, Jale sounds like maybe uh, we'll lead off the show with that next week. You can look into it. Let's check on you. All right, there you go. How's that, Paul? Sounds good to me. Right. Is there anybody, any churches in the country right now still singing that, or is that all I done? would not be surprised that uh, there are a number of churches in Chicago that are primarily Polish. Um, matter of fact, the church where I grew up, where Monsignor McGowan was pastor uh, and, uh, and a bunch of other Irish priests, uh, <laughs> now the pastor is from Poland, and the Polish Mass is jam-packed. The English Mass, not so much, but the Polish Mass is packed. So I'll, I can even ask uh, Father Gale over at St. Priscilla's, and uh, I'll give him a call and see what he's got. 
Yeah, Paul, were you were you in Eastern Michigan when you were growing up? Did, when this happened, Paul? Yes, sir. Yeah, I'm, I'm Detroit. Any big it, metro area like that, I think you're going to have some some Polish yeah. parishes still. Yeah, well, it was all through the fifties and the and the and half of the sixties. Every mm-hmm. Sunday afternoon, two o'clock, we were there singing Gorska Jala. Okay, so, I'll ask. But I never knew what I was singing. Here you go. How about this? <laughs> Our crack producer, Michael McCall. Yes. On the job. As always. Says it translates to bitter lamentations in English, and it's a Catholic devotion that originated in Poland in the 18th century, and it's a sung meditation on the passion of Christ and the suffering of his mother. The devotion is made up of Sounds. three-part cycle that is divided into five parts. And we'll, I'll look up some of the some more of the hymns and see if we can find that. Okay? 833-288-EWTN ah. is our toll-free number. That is the number that Mary Anna used in the great state of Washington, listening on EWTN.com. Mary Anna, you're on with Father Mitch. Hello, Father Mitch. Yes, how are you? What can we do for you? Good. I have a question. Yes. Uh, we were watching the YouTube, and we saw that uh, there was one uh, tube show that uh, it was a Holy Land tour, and the, mm-hmm. the headline was Mary's Tomb. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we clicked on it, and it appeared to be a, like a Protestant-based tour group mm-hmm. with the leader at this place called Mary's Tomb, which was near the Garden of Gethsemane. Right, right across so, the street from the garden. Okay, so what is, you know, they were claiming that I think that Mary's body was actually in that tomb, but what is the story behind that? And also, okay. can you summarize the Protestant view of our Blessed Mother? Uh, well, a couple. <laughs> no, there isn't one. <laughs> yeah, that's that's one of the difficulties. Yeah, very, uh, you know, it varies. Art. It really does vary. You, I mean, I've been in the Lutheran Church of Sankt Lawrence uh, uh, in um, Nuremberg, Germany, and at the uh, Sankt Lawrence Kirche, they have a full size statue of the Blessed Virgin as being assumed into heaven suspended over the main altar. Now, that would be a fairly high church Lutheran, but you won't find anything much about the Blessed Mother except maybe at Christmas, maybe at most other churches. Uh, Some some, uh, uh, Anglican churches will have a, a Mary's altar. They'll talk about as the Lady's Chapel. Um, so you'll see that there, but not to, to you know, I, I don't know much else that you could say for among the rest of most Protestants. Now, here's the, the thing with the tomb. In all the Eastern Church, uh, the, by the way, it is right now under the custody of the Greek Orthodox and the Armenian Orthodox. They they allow the Franciscans to come and chant the office of the Blessed Virgin Mary on the Feast of the Assumption. It was believed that she had died, and we see this in the earliest materials on Our Lady's Assumption, that she had died on the west part of Jerusalem. And there's a church called the Church of our Lady's Dormition. It is presently in the custody of German Benedictines. 
It's a beautiful church, and it has a, a, a full-size statue of the Blessed Virgin, life-size statue of the Blessed Mother laid out in death. If you've ever watched my Holy Land Rosary and the Glorious Mysteries, we show that statue. But then we, in the same mystery, we also go over to her tomb that according to um, the uh the uh, the earliest reports. Uh, it's a book called The Passing of the Virgin Mary. Um, she was, her body was carried over to uh, the Mount of uh, Olives, buried in a cave, which that's the cave of the tomb. And then after she was placed there, she was assumed, uh, the, the, the angels, or our lords, excuse me, Christ spoke to Peter saying, what should we do with this woman and peter said because of her virtue she deserves to be raised from the dead and so this is uh where she's assumed and raised from the dead and assumed into heaven so that's what that tomb is about and that is exactly what all three uh communions celebrate there the uh, uh the greeks the latins and the armenians um, when when they you know agree on a site that usually indicates that it's an authentic place and in fact an archaeological study of that indicates that it was a Jewish Christian church back in the first century AD that the Jewish Christians were going there as well as to the upper room uh, and they were worshiping in both of those places. And um, archaeology supports it, and St. Jerome mentions it. He used to live in Jerusalem. Does that help? Yes. So you're telling, you're saying that she was assumed from that mm-hmm. location. Okay. Yep. Thank you so much, Father. Absolutely. And you see the icons all over that chapel, whether they're the Armenian icons or the Greek icons, because they each have their own altars. Uh, they all show the apostles gathered around her funeral bier and then her assumption from there into heaven. Next up is Joe on Long Island in New York listening on the EWTN app. Joe, you're on with Father Mitch. Uh, yeah, hi, Father Mitch. Um, first of all, I hope your foot is mending well. It It is mending pretty well. I'm just Good. wearing a little bit of a brace I can now just have my regular boot over that bait, uh, that uh, you know, brace. So it's doing along. I feel it a little bit now and again. I don't think old guys heal as fast as young guys. <laughs> but it's doing pretty well, and I'm doing physical therapy. Yeah, I can vouch for that about the older guys. <laughs> yeah, You've made a few yeah. chips around the sun like I have, huh? A, a cu- well, a couple. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a couple couple. But uh, to, to my question, it has to do with, um, it's a Bible question, and it's 1 John chapter 5, mm-hmm. verses 6 and 7, where I believe it's talking about the bap- uh, about Jesus, his baptism being testified through water, blood, and the Spirit. Mm-hmm. And I think I understand it. I think I understand the Spirit being God, testifying the Holy Spirit, and 
the blood is human blood, and the water, the baptism, the cleansing. But is there, I don't know if I'm right on that or not, and you can correct me, of course, um, but is there more to the water than just the cleansing? Because there's so much in the Bible about water. Well, there, there's, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of things. Uh, first of all, let me uh, give a little clue here. Notice that it said, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not with water only, but with water and the blood. And the Spirit is the witness because the Spirit is the truth. The, there are three witnesses, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. Uh, and these th- uh, three agree. That's the verse. This is a reference to, remember on the cross, our Lord said, Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit, and he died. That was his words as he died. And then when his side was pierced, water and blood came out. And John is the one who witnessed that. Remember that? Yep. And that is the reference there. This is a reference to Christ's, um, you know, uh, uh, death. But there, you are correct to see there's more to baptism than just water. St. Paul makes it uh, very clear that when we are baptized, we are baptized into the death of Jesus so that we might rise with him. That's in Romans chapter 6, that we are baptized into his death so that we can rise with him. This is a uh, um, the, the, this is uh, the, the key, uh, what's going on. And that means the power of Christ shedding his blood on the cross is the power of baptism. So we need the water, you pour the water, but it's empowered because it is a baptism into Christ's death. And because of all that, St. Peter wrote in his first epistle, chapter 3, around verse 20, that baptism now saves you. It doesn't say you are saved. Baptism is this power that now saves you, present tense. Nun sodzehumas. And that indicates that this is an ongoing power of baptism that is working for our salvation because it is a baptism into Christ's death, but we enter it into, by water. Does that help? Much more than I thought it would. Okay, good. <laughs> wow, that's, yeah, that's pretty darn good. I didn't write that, (laughs) but thank you for calling, Joe. God bless you, Joe. We appreciate that phone call. I'm going to tell you, this place is crawling with Holy uh, Holy Cross Fathers these days. We've got uh, Father Edmund Sylvia, Holy Cross Father, who appeared with Johnette on The Abundant Life for many years, is visiting us uh, this week. And we also have another Holy Cross Father, Father Fred Jenga, who is the um, current president of Holy Cross Family Ministries, and he's going to be on the show tonight with you. Exactly. Really nice man. He's from Uganda and is uh, doing uh, really 
bright man, and uh, I'm very excited to have him on. He's, you know, <laughs> he's got a whole doctorate in communications. I, I have nothing. <laughs> <laughs> That's tonight, EWTN Live with Father Mitch and Father Fred Jenga. 8 p.m. Eastern Time right here on EWTN Radio and Television. Katie is up next, a first-time caller in the great state of Louisiana, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Katie, you're on with Father Mitch. Hi, Father Mitch. Hi, what can we do for you? I just have wondered um, what the church's stance is, or what the actual official teaching is on the fewness of the saved, Mm -hmm. um, based by uh, St. Leonard of Port Maurice's homily that he gave about um, just how very many people die and very few are actually saved. Well, I wouldn't go so start off with him as the source okay. for that. I would go to the gospel where Jesus, our Lord, said that. He was just commenting on what our Lord said, that the uh, way is wide and easy that leads to hell, and many are on it. The way to heaven is uh, uh, narrow, and few are on it. Um, and, um, and he's the one who said, many are called, few are chosen. Um, though I've heard one Lutheran pastor say, many are cold, and a few are frozen. <laughs> but that's a paraphrase. <laughs> But this is something that, um, uh, you know, our Lord taught. So my opinion is that, on that is, I really need to uh, pay attention. And as my mother often said, straighten up, young man, to make sure that we are there with our Lord. That's, you know, I don't have to do the counting. Our Lord is going to do the judging and all that, the admission, that's not up to me. My task is to get to heaven myself and do whatever I can to get as many other people to heaven and help that. That's the goal of my life. And I should, that's what St. Ignatius put into the Constitution for us Jesuits. That's what we have to do. God bless you, Katie. Thanks for the phone call. Next up is Dan in Johnston, South Carolina, listening on St. Paul Radio. Dan, you're on with Father Mitch. Hey, Father Mitch. Yes, sir. Uh, I was wondering if you believe the year of our Lord's crucifixion was 33 or 30 A.D.? I actually tend to go with 30. And here's the reason why. Do you remember in John chapter 2, when our Lord is in Jerusalem for the Passover— And he cleanses the temple, and they ask him, what authority do you have to do this? And he said, tear down this temple in three days, I will rebuild it. And he's referring to his body. They then said, well, it took us 46 years to build this temple. Aha! That's where our clue is. That the, the temple had been worked on for 46 years in that first year of our Lord's ministry. The temple was begun in the year 19 B.C. by Herod the Great. So that would indicate, because there is no year zero, remember that, there's no year zero. So from 19 B.C. 
46 years later is 27 A.D. So that's why I go with that. Does that help? It does. I had read, Doctor, I believe it's Connor, Hunter. I don't know. Chronological, chronological aspects of the life of Christ. Yeah, I, I don't know that book. Okay. But uh, I, so, I, I did uh, read a, a fine book by uh, Father Bargle Pixner. I think you can get it here. It's called The Fifth Gospel. By Fifth Gospel, he means the land of Israel is itself something that reveals something of Christ to you. So that's what we have there. We're heading out of Bay City, Michigan. Anne is listening on Ave Maria Radio. Anne, you're on with Father Mitch. Yes, Father, I'd like to know. I have a sister. We all went to the Catholic school and mm-hmm. all that. She got married on Mackinac Island and uh, had one child, and I know he's a Baptist. Mm-hmm. To this day, we're all in our seventies. I'd like to know why she's rejected the Catholic Church. I don't know how long it's been since she's been to church, mm-hmm. but she always went to the Baptist, the Methodist Church, with her husband. Mm-hmm. Is mm-hmm. she in danger of losing her soul? This, you know, for one thing, you know, I am not the judge of her soul. That's our Lord's job. But here would be a few things I would ask her. I don't know if she I don't know if she wants to talk about it with you. But I would ask her why would you want to leave the church that Jesus Christ started for a church, for instance the Baptist church. The earliest form of that is 1605. Is she southern going to the Southern Baptist Church or some other form of Baptist? Cuz there's about 65 types of Baptist church. Does she know? I don't know where she goes to church. She yeah. even goes yeah. anymore. I don't really know, but she did go to the Methodist. Yeah, and, and see, this is something where um, she would do, she may, uh, she, it sounds like she's putting her soul in danger. Um, you know, if she is being lazy about her fulfilling the commandment to keep holy the Sabbath, if she is you know, denying doctrines that our Lord revealed, and she uh, knows that he said these things, and she rejects his teaching over her own opinion, then she puts herself in a conflict with Christ that makes her puts her soul in danger. Um, But I would, uh, if the conversation would be had, I'd want to ask, what, where do you want to go and why? What is there that makes you think you should leave the Catholic Church? If it's because there are people in the Catholic Church that are not living up the ideals, believe me, all my Protestant minister friends talk about that with their own congregations. Uh, This is a human problem across all denominational lines. That's not caused by Catholicism. That's caused by human weakness, whether you're a Baptist, a Methodist, or a Catholic or Lutheran. So you can't let their scandal drive you out. You have to seek what is the true church and the church that was founded by Jesus Christ to continue his truth until the end of the age. That's her responsibility. And all of us have a responsibility in conscience to form our minds right on that regard and make the right decision. So that's what I would ask her. Okay. 
Jesse is next up in Raleigh, North Carolina. She's listening on Divine Mercy Radio. Jesse, you're on with Father Mitch. Oh, hello, Father Mitch. Um, it's good to hear from you today. Thank you. What can we do for you? Um, so normally, uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan. I listen all the time. Um, <laughs> and normally I just shut up and listen and let God kind of talk to me through your guests. But um, recently I've been having a lot of uh, issues with some hard things in my life, sure. um, especially my husband and I dealing with uh, maybe the prospect of infertility, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. which has been really hard. And, um, and I was wondering today if you might have some advice on how not to uh, fall into the nastiness of despair uh, and yes. keep moving forward. There, here's one of the things about despair. Oftentimes, we are tempted towards that when we have, you know, good ideas, that this, you know, really good ideas, and you want to live out those good ideas, but, you know, there are a lot of things outside of our control. And if we have these, our own goals, and we can't do them, it's easier to say, well, I'll give up. The antidote is to go and look more and more to God's providence. What, you know, he's closing, perhaps he's closing the door of you being able to have children, uh, you know, due to fertility and such. So if that door is closed, what door does he want to open? This, and, and it's turning to him say, Lord, what do you ask of me in this situation? And I, I mean, and I don't know, you know, but as we turn to him and say, my plan A isn't working out, the normal plan, in fact, what would you have me do instead? Um, and I think to seek what he, the good that he wants you to do in this circumstance, rather than the good you first chose, uh, will bring you a way to ask questions and open up new vistas. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? Yes, Lord, bless you all and keep you, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. On behalf of our host, Father Mitch Packwood, producer Michael McCall, our call screener Matt Kubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Ace McKay, I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line Wednesday. Be sure to stay tuned on many of these stations. Beacon of Truth with Deacon Harold Burke-Sivers coming up next. Until next time, God bless.